0: Welcome back to The New Yachtsman. I've got a great guest today, Mike French. Mike's got lots of experience as a captain on a yacht for different owners, been in the industry a long time, and I thought we'd just talk to him about, you know, his insights on what you should look for in a captain and what it's like to be the yacht captain working for the owner. Mike, why don't you give us a little bit of background kind of on your boating history and and, um, what kind of boats you've been running?
1: Sure. Well, I actually started very young. I uh, did uh, an apprenticeship aboard uh, gaff rig sailing vessels, So I learned, um, I guess nowadays you call it the hard way, uh, before we had electronics and before we had any of the uh, modern facilities you have aboard vessels. Um, and I served as a mate, um, learning how to splice, um, learning how to navigate. Uh, and basically learning how to sail and manage a crew. The task was uh, with a sail training school, so that we used to take complete novices who just wanted to get experience of the sea, and we take them around the English Channel back and forth to France. And as long as they got a good French meal, they all seemed pretty happy if they survived. And um, most of the time they did, although I was shipwrecked once during that uh, career. Um, From doing that, I ended up as a small boat captain and passed my yacht master, which then was the main license to operate a vessel. Nowadays, it's uh, considered a 200-tonne license. I actually passed that at 18, and that took me into uh, two things. Training, so teaching other people to sail and uh, navigate, et cetera, and then uh, racing. So I got into professional racing. That whole career led me into another career, believe it or not, in Africa, working as a consultant to the British government, where I designed sails, put them onto artisanal fishing boats in the Red Sea uh, and tested them against the local um, designs that they were using at the time to see if there were uh, performance gains by using modern and different sail shapes that we might use um, in the West, if you want. Um, And then latterly, as a result of that career getting more and more dangerous, I ended up working for the UN um, in Somalia, Iraq, those sort of places. Um, I then got back into proper yachting, as we call it nowadays, um, became a professional captain uh, and worked aboard yachts for the last 20 years or so as a captain.
0: I understand now you're, you're on a fairly large yacht, probably a little larger than our, our new yachtsmen are looking at, but what kind of advice would you give the person looking for the, say, 50 to 70-foot yacht in hiring a captain and... Um, what 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 criteria would you look for what do you think their background should be and what do you think a new yachtsman really needs to focus on in in their first yacht
1: it's it's i think one of the things that's very very important is that um in the same way that you might go out and buy a ferrari but not if your plan was to use it to take six kids to school and to do a weekly shopping run um i think All too often, mistakes are made when people buy a boat. They buy it for a number of reasons, often not for the reason it's going to be used for. Um, And I've been on a boat recently where viewing clients or talking to clients who are looking at the boat, comparing completely different vessels would seem to echo this sort of thing. And I think the first thing that one should do is to really decide on exactly how they're going to use it. Do you really want friends on board? Is it just for the family? Are you going to actually travel in it? I think some of these things are hard um, to answer for a lot of people who see, you know, some of the marketing, see some of the glamorous side of it, see some of the places they want to go to, but are not really sure how they're going to get there, the range, the speed, the performance, the weather. I mean, people do think that they're going to go out and weather gales sometimes um, when they talk about buying new boats, when more often than not, they never see more than 10 or 15 knots of wind. And if they do, they're parked somewhere safe. So I think really it's to decide what you're going to actually use your boat for and make sure that you get good advice from both brokers, but more importantly, sometimes the people that operate these boats to make sure it's compatible with exactly what you're after.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I see all the time where the very successful executive buys their first yacht thinking that their kids were going to come. When the truth is he's 67 years old and the first time he's had a week off was 30 years ago and um, his son's probably the same way and his son's wife's probably not going to spend her vacation on his yacht either so they all think that they're all coming and they're all not necessarily coming they would like to come but you know we all have to remember that when we're 30 something and we have kids and kids are in school we're probably not running off to the bahamas for four months with granddad and if that's the case then maybe the yacht needs to be a different size if it's just two of them or Two of them and their brother, or two of them and one one other couple, then then the yacht for the the dream family trip that may or may not happen. Um, exactly.
1: I um I once trained a fellow, a very smart man, the CEO of a very large public business, and uh, he bought a boat that he wanted to go. He was based in Maine and uh, New England, but he wanted to go to the Caribbean. And he asked me, and he was very smart. He did some STCW training and he did some navigational training, and then I did some personal training with him to make sure he could handle the boat and um all the things, all the sensible skills that you need to do. And about a year later, I caught up with him and said, how, how is your yachting going? He said, well, it's not really that good, to be honest with you. I think I'm going to sell the boat. And I said, well, why is that? I, I thought you were all over that. You know, I thought you were looking forward to this. He said, well, it's the family. They don't like the boat. And I said, well, tell me why. And he said, well, we left um, Maine when I collected the boat. I mean, we we're going to the Caribbean. And after about a week, they just decided they didn't like it. And I said, well, where did you stay? Where did you stop? What did you see? And he said, no, 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 no. We went to sea for about a week. And seven days into the trip on their sort of second storm, um, they had decided they didn't want to be on boats by this stage. they were still a thousand miles offshore headed out to sea before they turned right and went down to the Caribbean. So that to me was something that, you know, I thought he would have understood that, but, but he bought a boat that was ocean capable and it was, it was a fantastic boat, but, You know, if you're going to encourage your family to do it, then really, I don't think they were fully prepared to be at sea for 11 days. It would have been traveling at eight knots or something.
0: Yeah, I actually found that with my own family. My wife loves to be on the boat. She even loves to drive the boat on the intercoastal waterway and talk to the people on the bridges and look at the birds. But she has no interest in being at sea at night or or being out of sight of land. And I think a lot of times the, the guy that's buying the yacht has these dreams from these books he read but that hits his dream. It's not the rest of the family's dream. And like you say, if, if you handled it differently, maybe that family should have flown to the B, BVI and the, exactly. yourself and the owner should have taken the boat down there and they would have had a great time. They still have their yacht. Exactly.
1: And I think that's, that's, that, that, you know, reinforced in my mind, making sure you, you have the right actual use in mind when you choose the boat, the boat he had could have gone around the world twice on a, on a tank of fuel. But, um, not with his wife on board, she was having none of it, she wanted to shop, sunbathe and be in the marinas and, and, and do some snorkeling and, and she had no really interest in being at sea for weeks at a time. So,
0: What do you think the um, ramp up time is for the person that has very, very little background to being able to operate a 60-70 you know, foot boat, let's say you're going to be a trainer for a guy that has reasonable mechanical skills and things like that but didn't grow up sailing, didn't grow up with the background you have but very successful person, let's assume they're reasonably fit, and they buy a $2 million, 65-foot boat, and you have to be on board because the insurance company said so. When do you think that guy could be self-sufficient on average?
1: That's a very difficult question, I mean, it really does, as well as learning the basics, learning to navigate, and and let's be honest, there's a lot of electronics that'll help solve some of those issues now. It's really developing that sort of culture of awareness of what can go wrong, And, and it's still to this day, no matter how much sophistication you have in your boat, it's a question of planning for the worst and hoping for the best, and way too often that's something that takes months or even years to really cultivate in someone's head. So whilst it can be, if someone learns to drive the boat effectively, they're in a reasonable marina, they understand what the wind and tide is doing, where they are, and they're not too ambitious, it can be a month. It can be a short period of time. It's really it goes wrong, I think, when people um, don't really understand uh, the next step and, and, and they find themselves out of their depth. And then all too often, they, they sort of get scared. So it's, it's down to, if someone has no experience at all, Then I think having a a safe pair of hands with them just to take the pressure off them, just to have someone to relate to when they're looking at the weather forecast, when they're looking at passage time, wondering about the range, wondering about simple things like provisions and what spares they have on board. Um, I think these things, you know, they're best handled by professionals at the early stages. It's not something that can't be imparted at all. It's not something it's not a dark art. It is a science and smart people can pick it up relatively quickly, but I think that's potentially months, um, not necessarily days or weeks.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of these owners, especially at first, they don't leave the dock that often. Um, they'll go on a 10 day trip and then maybe they sit for six weeks. So it's not like the captain has to be on board all the time, but, um, I think you're right. I really think the new yachtsman should have a professional on board when you're going to a new area, first time to the Bahamas, maybe first three times to the Bahamas, first time really coastal cruising, going to a new spot. But they can probably pretty quickly be good at going back to a the spot they've been to and they're comfortable on their marine yeah. approach and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and there's other things. I mean, there's basic engineering that's, that's you know often going to be involved, but simple things that you wouldn't think of, like launching a tender on a davit. If you've never done that before, just making sure that, you know the basic elements of seamanship are taken care of that the sling is correct you you know you're using the the, the right amount of uh, reach for your davit you're launching it when the boat's not rolling around too much these are things which you know we make it look easy on on below decks and on um you know youtube videos but it's not always easy and if you haven't done it before and seen it go wrong or really understand it it can be quite a handful
0: yeah i agree i think that um the first, time you, first oh. couple of times you do everything is really important to have a, an expert yep. there. Um, do you have a lot of time in the Bahamas? Yes. Yeah, I've been there operating on and off for about 20 years. And um, I, I assume you'd recommend the first several times you go to the Bahamas. You've got a, someone that's done it many times before.
1: I think so. I mean, some of the mistakes that people make, I mean, there's, there's several prop shops in Fort Lauderdale that make a, a handsome business based on how shallow the Bahamas is and how it's actually very poorly marked in terms of navigational marks. Um, and I think that's, you know, coming into places with the sun in your eyes, leaving early in the morning, when you find the sun's in your eyes and you can't see the bottom, uh, not being aware of, of, of being able to see the depth and recognise... Um the current and that kind of stuff is is a regular, easy mistake that's perfectly well avoided if you have the experience and someone to guide you through that at the beginning.
0: Another thing I see that's difficult for the new yachtsman is the um, a lot of times people want to think of the boat as an airplane and we're going to leave on Tuesday. What would you recommend as far as weather windows and trip planning, as far as you know your goals to, let's say, go to the Bahamas in March? Um, what should the new yachtsman plan as a window to make that happen?
1: Well, again, I think you learn very quickly that at various times of the year, the weather is predictable or unpredictable. And and we're in the semi-tropics in the Bahamas. So you do tend to find that it's, you know, it's less than predictable. The weather forecasting is now exceptional. It's, it's, It's come on leaps and bounds, even in the last decade. So I think that if you get a forecast which is telling you you have a window to go um, within three days, I think you're in good shape. They're very, very accurate. The only caveat to that is when these frontal systems come down and then you literally have to monitor every 12 hours to make sure that front isn't coming a little bit faster than it's supposed to do or a little bit slower. Because there is a penalty if you get caught at the beginning or the end of it when the winds pick up, um, the rain comes in, you lose visibility. And that can happen quite quickly. There's always a window, but, um, and, and the window is accurately predictable, but only if you've read the forecast and are staying in tune with it. So I think that that's something that you should enjoy, learn to enjoy, and, and sort of embrace the elements rather than um, treating it as something that, uh, that's always getting in your way.
0: What do you look for weather-wise, uh, say wind speed, where you know, the family's not going to have fun anymore? They're- Customers always ask me this question, like what what can, what can conditions can this boat handle? And my answer well, is always, it's not about the boat. What, what do you look for when you say we're not going today? I mean, it, it, obviously it
1: depends on the boat. It depends if you're crossing the Gulf Stream because then anything from the north is gonna make it lift up. But anything much more than three or four feet, then you're starting, depending on the direction you're heading and whether the sea is behind you or in front of you, it's gonna start being uncomfortable. The boat's gonna start rolling around. Um, so I think that, and that can happen in as little as 12 to 15 knots of breeze. Um, and I think at that point, it's starting to get, you know, it's, it's a little bumpy and a little less than fun at times.
0: Great. Well, that's been really helpful. Uh, thank you for your time today. I think it's been very insightful and, uh, please like, and subscribe if you found this interesting and, uh, be sure to give us any ideas on future episodes. Thank you.